All right, well, gentlemen, uh, I want to talk to you about a touchy, touchy issue that uh, I know you've dealt with. Uh, most contractors have dealt with it in some capacity, and that is working with family. Interesting topic. And I'll start it by saying this. When I opened my first company in 2004, uh, my wife at the time, my ex-wife Janet, who you met before, she and I even got married, I think. You met her early on. And uh, very smart gal, hardworking as the day is long. And she and I worked side by side 24-7 to build that company. Uh, but it did not always... Uh, foster the best home life because we all know work can be very stressful uh, and frustrations at work very easily come home in the evenings and that can be uh, a real issue. It certainly was with us. The other challenge is working with family members in terms of executing whatever your responsibilities are as an owner manager when you have family. And so that's what I want to talk about, about that dynamic. And I know you guys have had Dozens, if not hundreds of clients have dealt with that issue. And so maybe we'll start the conversation this way. What are some of the challenges that you've seen? And then we'll move into some of the solutions and possible ways to, to deal with it. So, uh, Drew, we'll just kind of start with you since you dealt with it. You worked with family from your father to your brothers. And what were some of the challenges that you faced in, uh, in that dynamic? It's an interesting topic. Um, you know, growing up in a family business, <clears throat> Each of us came into the business at age 12, and we were all part of the swim team, so we would leave swim team practice, we'd come home, and we would do our thing. And so obviously my older brother, he, he got in first, I came in two years later, then my brother and sister, you know, younger brother and sister came in two years after that. And, you know, at first you have a job because you are the kid, right? And we all, the, well, three of us, the three boys, all started out as gophers. My sister, she ended up working in the office you know, and helping out here and there, uh, doing, you know, uh, office duty stuff, uh, clerical stuff, uh, um, receptionists, uh, you know, back then we were dealing with mail, uh, you know, a little bit of light typing. Uh, she did phones later on, and then eventually she got into doing some of the accounting work, you know, years later. Mom was in the business as well, right? So, I mean, we had six of us in, in that family business, and of course, dad was the, you know, the president you know, of the company. You know, fast forward all the way through high school, I mean, that, that's really kind of what it was. We earned our way into it, and that was the thing. You didn't have a job because you were a family member. You had to, you had to be able to work. You had to hold your own. And I, went, I ended up going to college. My younger brother went to technical school. My older brother went to the Navy. Uh, my younger sister, she went to college as well. And, and so as we all went our way and did our thing and then kind of came back, my younger brother... He went to work for somebody else. My dad said, hey, if you're going to go to trade school, um, before you come back to the business, I want you to go work for somebody else and see what it's like out there working for somebody else. Uh, different set of expectations and roles and, and whatnot. And of course, they knew my dad, but they weren't giving Ron, my younger brother, a job because of my dad. He had to earn that, earn that job. The one thing about Ron, I mean, that's, I think, you know, one of the greatest things my parents gave us was the gift of a great work ethic. So we worked our asses off. Uh, every single one of us. So Ron eventually came back. He eventually ended up running our warehouse and uh, you know, doing purchasing, and he was fantastic at that job. I mean, he, he ran it with a tight fist. 
John became my best salesperson. Um, he was there. good. He was fantastic. I uh, had, had to fire him twice, but uh, <laughs> so, well, maybe he learned because I didn't. Well, that's why we're talking about family <laughs> dynamics, aren't we? Later in life, and I want to talk about that. Let's but, talk about those stories. He, he learned from something because when I met him, yeah. he was top of his game. He he got he he had to develop some professional maturity around the fact that he had come out of a family business. There, uh, maybe a little level, a little bit of entitlement that was there, but when I let him go the second time, and then he came back and and he got his, you know, he wanted his job back, and I. I, I set the record straight and say, hey, this is the expectations. I said, I have six other salespeople that are all looking to you, and if, if it's good for you, then it's good for them. And we can't have that, and he understood. And that's when he really matured professionally, and he became a, he became a better salesperson. And then he eventually became, in my mind, worthy of sales management, and that's when you later met him, because he was no longer, he, he never became a sales manager at our company, that's, that was my role, sales and general, sales and general manager. Heather, my sister, she left our company um, after probably about a year and a half, and she, but she stayed in the, the contracting world, mechanical business, uh, with a large mechanical company in Delaware. Um, Mom, of course, retired out of the business and then went through the family divorce there. And so, so the interesting, like I say, the interesting aspects of the family dynamic, you know, I, I think at least in my family, played out well. So we all got along very well. We all, you know, we all worked hard. Um, we were all, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, we were all competent in what we were doing. We all had a desire to make our, our company name John H. Cameron and Sons. Um, we wanted to, to be the best. And, um, and so that, that worked well in my company. I have worked in other companies where um, people have a job because they have the name or they have the relationship. And they haven't, they haven't earned the right to have the job that they have, the position that they have. People in the company don't respect them. I, I think my brothers and I had the respect of everybody on our team. Um, years later, I, I still hear people saying, geez, well, you know, why did you guys sell? Um, but you know, hindsight being what it is, we probably, we, you know, we probably wouldn't have. But um, you know, I think that's the one thing that my dad set down in stone. You had expectations. He clearly communicated those expectations. You were you were held accountable to those standards, and you held yourself accountable to those standards. And I and where family doesn't work in the business, this is just my opinion, is that those expectations are not usually clearly communicated. There's no accountability, and when those expectations aren't met, and the accountability isn't in place, people look at that and and say, well, if they can get away with it, then so can I. Or, or why should I have to play by the rules? You know, if you're your own family doesn't. And then of course those people end up losing the respect of the, you know, the rest of this, uh, the staff. And I think that just a little bit of poison creeps into the company. You know, it's, it's funny because my son Hunter, who's 27 now, uh, that a lot of people know just from my books and my speaking. And uh, it's funny, I, I talk to people and they feel like they, they watched Hunter grow up, you know, and he's working for me now at Rehash. And uh, I find that I probably am a little bit harder on him because I want people in the company to know he's not getting a free pass and he does not get a free pass. But sometimes I worry I go a little over just to like prove the point. One other thing, and then Gary, I want to hear from you on this. One of my brothers uh, a few years back came to work with us for a short time. And you know, sometimes at work, tempers can flare, we say things. And if you say things to a coworker, an employee, you get over it, you move on. 
But when it's family, sometimes it's hard to take those things back and it can be really resonate at a very personal level. And one of, one of my uh, really biggest regrets is when my brother and I were working together, we had it out at work and uh, things were said in the heat of the moment and stuff. And it really, it really undermined our relationship for a while. It took a while for us to kind of work through that. And, uh, and it's just so important that when you're working with family, I think that you gotta remember that this conversation is gonna be going home with you. It's gonna be next Thanksgiving, it's gonna be there. Next Christmas, it's gonna be there. And you really gotta be careful about, uh, about those work conflicts and stresses. It's always stressful at work. It's always stressful in business. It's the nature of it. Uh, that when family's involved, sometimes, uh, you know, the wounds can be pretty slow to heal. So uh, Gary just, you know, and I don't know if you've worked with family before. I know you have a lot of different companies in many different industries. And I don't know if you've had to work with family before or had to, got the <laughs> option, got the joy of working with family before. But talk to us about maybe in your own business or maybe what you've seen with clients about some of the, the challenges. Uh, I, love, I love something that you said there, the, the wounds. The wounds can be uh, deep and, and uh, take more time to heal. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true. Uh, personally, I, I have worked in my dad's family business, but that was short-lived, so he, uh, he retired and sold the company. So I didn't, I didn't come through the same track that you came through. Uh, and, I, and none of my kids uh, will be in my businesses. Uh, so my experience is, is different than yours. Mm -hmm. It's more consulting and working with family businesses, family uh, dynamics. And so the most, I, I would categorize this as successful and then those that are struggling. Uh, the most successful companies that I've seen that have that family re relationship, um, they don't run their business as a family business. They run their business based on a culture. So things like expectations that you described, um, you know, how you're treating Hunter, or you know, if uh, you're, you're being hard on him, or in some cases, other family members are getting soft treatment. Maybe they don't have the competency that you had. And either one of those is bad. Uh, so when you, when you run a company, you wanna set up the culture of the business to be the driver, and you want standards and expectations for people that are working in the business, family or otherwise, to be held accountable to that standard. Uh, nothing greater and nothing less. And so there's, there's resentment among employees when family members are treated you know, with kid gloves or you, know, you have the family name, so you, you get preferential treatment. Uh, but there's also resentment amongst the family members when they know they're being treated harsher. Uh, they feel like they're being held to a different standard and they, that, that's a wound that also exists. So my advice has always been to you know, be married to the culture, be married to the value structure uh, run it as a professional business and then run it with your family, but organize the family and the culture of the business to be tied to the business plan and the overall values. And that's the stuff that's missing in a lot of family businesses um, historically. So what, when I coach, I just try to get them focused on, uh, we set up what we call family council. Um, the, uh, if I was the owner of that business, I can't be in charge of the family council because I'm, I'm, I have an emotional interest in it. Somebody else has to be in charge of that. And you have to have a forum where you can uh, mitigate those types of discussions. Um, some really, really successful people have uh, trained. You're an industry icon, Drew. You're a legend, and you've you <laughs> were developed in my mind. You were developed that way because you know your dad did a really smart thing. You know he. He got you guys out into a place that wasn't the family business first. So you got to see 
how other companies operated and, and you didn't come back entitled. And I think that's, the, that's what creating a plan, creating values, creating a culture uh, is all about so that nobody feels entitled. No, no, nobody that's a regular employee teammate or nobody that's a family member, so. Uh, by the way, for our viewers and listeners, viewers, I guess, uh, for some context, the reason that we can see our breath is we are at my home in Colorado, and while it was 90 degrees yesterday, it's probably about 35 right now. I wish you guys could see the three guys behind the cameras there because <laughs> they look like they're on an expedition <laughs> through the Great White North or something. Uh, we're a little bit warmer. we got heaters here, heaters here, and the fire going. Um, but it is about 35 degrees. It's spitting some snow. And uh, we've neglected, Gary, to have you comment uh, on our whiskey and our cigars, which is kind of a trademark of Unfiltered here. So talk to us real quick about that whiskey. There was a bottle around here somewhere. That's a Yamazaki. It's, uh, it's Yamazaki. behind you. Yeah, it's behind you. It's a 12-year it's a Yamazaki, Japanese whiskey. And right it's uh, very, very, very good. Uh, just mellow, smooth. It's, it's matching perfectly with the 36 degree temperature and the <laughs> snowflakes, I gotta tell you. And this, uh, this Maduro uh, is, uh, is fabulous. Macanudo It's Maduro. a Macanudo. And it's some uh, kind of special edition. You got a special ring on it here. I'm not sure what that's about. But yeah, it's really, really outstanding. Anyway, so I just wanted to comment on that because uh, people might be wondering, it's the day after Labor Day and it looks like it's cold out here. It is. We look like some buffaloes up in Yellowstone, <laughs> you know, snorting, <laughs> snorting the steam. You know? um, so, so you're saying that's not cigar smoke that's coming out of your mouth? Well, a little bit of cigar smoke, <laughs> but also some, some freezing, uh, whatever that is when it's really cold. Uh, we talked months ago, the three of us were talking about a book called The Peter Principle, which is a, uh, an old book and talks about, you know, somebody comes into the business and they're there for years and years and they're getting raises and more and more authority and responsibility. And at some point they get promoted one level above their level of competency. But by now they've been there 15 years, they're making 100 grand a year. You know, how do you fire the person who's been so good and so low for so many years? That can happen in the family too. And you both mentioned that sometimes people are in positions because their name is in the building or their father's name or their mother's name is in the building, not necessarily because they earn that uh, position and that can create a lot, of, a lot of issues with other people in the company. Um, do you have any specific examples or maybe just some general advice and wisdom on how to deal with that if you have a family member in a position, as Drew, you mentioned earlier, maybe they didn't earn it, or at least people don't believe they, not in your family, it sounds like everybody earned their position, but I'm sure you've seen many, many clients of yours where people are in positions because of their name, um, and not necessarily because of their accomplishments or their, you know, what they've done in the company. Can you comment, uh, Drew, we'll just toss to you and comment on that part of the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, Gary used the word entitlement a little bit earlier and that, that can come into play, I think, in family businesses. You know, my, again, I, I, it goes back to culture though, right? Yeah. I mean, you either teach it or you tolerate it. So you either taught some level of entitlement or you've tolerated it. And that was the one thing that I think, you know, we did a good job of just not doing. I mean, we got to a point, I mean, we had our, 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 our riffs here and there, but one, I remember distinctly one night we came together in my dad's office, my two brothers, my mom had since left the business and was in the middle of a divorce with my dad. My sister had left the business. And I forget what the issue was that was going on, but there was some, some strife, some angst in the business amongst my brothers and I and my dad. 
And we came together my dad's office and we came to the understanding that when we were going to be at business, we could have whatever angst we wanted to in his office after hours. We could have that conversation. That conversation wouldn't carry outside of work. It wouldn't carry, you know, go home, even though we weren't living at home. All of us were living on our own at that point, but that we wouldn't carry that outside of work. It would, it would take place at the business, in my dad's office, after hours, making sure nobody else was around to hear anything that we were going to talk about if, if it got a little heated and sometimes it got a little passionate, right? We're Irish and Scottish, so uh, you know, we, we can get a little heated up there. But we came to the, uh, to, you know, to the agreement that when we were at work, we were not brothers. Yes, I mean, love, love my brothers, and, you know, and obviously, unfortunately, they are no longer with, you know, neither one of them is no longer with us, but love my brothers, love them, you know, at work, um, would fight probably harder for them because they're my brothers at work. But like you said, would also hold them accountable to a higher standard because they're my brothers. But at work, you're not my brother. You're my salesperson, you're my warehouse slash purchasing agent, you're the president, you know, of the company, right? And I'm, the gen I'm your general manager. I mean, that's, and I would literally say, you know, the president of the company or Mr. Cameron, he said, well, isn't that your dad? I'm like, not when I'm at work. Yeah. And, and so, you know, compartmentalizing things, you know, uh, really worked for us uh, to, you know, to avoid that level of entitlement and just making sure, my dad always said, and I probably said it on one of these videos, you know, previously, my dad always said, you know, listen, if you want, we can kill the golden goose and we can have a glorious feast once. <laughs> or we can take care of it, we can have golden eggs forever. And golden geese, baby geese, right? And, and maybe you know, these things spawn and you, you go off on your own way. And, and I think that's, you know, we were respectful of that. That you know, not only was it something that you know, was employing us and eventually would provide for our families, none of us were married or had kids at the time, but that it would, but that, and I've said that on, on these videos in the past, is you don't employ people, you employ families. And I think we, we had some people that they became our friends, right? And I'm, another line I've said on these uh, videos, business is business, get your friends elsewhere. Meaning, work is not the place where you get your needs met emotionally. And we had friends in the business, and we were friendly, but if you weren't, if you weren't carrying your weight, then you needed to go. You, you have to earn your job every day. And we had people that we had hired that had gone to school with us, high school and college with us. But they also came on and they took on that same expectation, probably because we picked quality friends, but they too also knew they had to carry themselves to a higher standard, that they didn't have a job because they were Drew's friend. My best friend, Butch, who was my best man, you know, best man at my wedding, he was our service parts manager. And that guy, he would, he'd come in before everybody and he'd leave when I left. And he goes, are you leaving? I'm like, not yet. He goes, then I'm not leaving. And I never asked him to do that, right? But that's, I think that's kind of what you have to have. You have to have, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, clear, defined expectations, and those all come about because of culture. And with that, I'll, I'll toss it to Gary. Yeah, I love what you said. You, you guys had like your own family council, that, that your, your dad's office after hours was a place where you could mediate and have those kinds of conversations. Love that. One thing I would throw out, um, just for the members, if you got family in there, uh, if you got kids that potentially could ascend, uh, Peter Principal, all that discussion, everybody deserves an employee development plan. You're, you're, you've seen mine. You're working with one of my teammates, 
right now on an employee development plan. And it's relevant because if they don't see that there's an actual plan to develop and they're not held accountable to that plan, um, what happens is they're just sort of managing the business based on family. And you know the business goes up, the business goes down, they're putting in their time, they're putting in their energy, but they're not necessarily getting better at the craft. And I think what we want uh, everybody to have is that every single teammate in the company, family included, should have a plan of attack that says, you know, this is where you are, this is the stuff you need to be working on to get better, and here's the plan of attack to do that. So that could be coaching from a guy like Drew, uh, that could be going to sales training that you teach or that, you know, you and Russ teach, uh, development path, books, audio cassettes, podcasts, academic classes, uh, going to work for a different company as a form of employee development. So what I see missing in a lot of small companies is they, they don't have that structure where we're sitting down with a family member and saying, you know, I think this is your career track. This is your next place. These are the things you need to do. And this is the process. This is the plan of attack. So that stuff is posted on the EGI site. And so we have that for every single employee. And it's a pain to do it. But I will tell you that it's very effective because it allows you to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. it, 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 you're holding somebody accountable right now mm -hmm. for a book. Think and grow rich. Yeah, oh, you heard it, huh? <laughs> You say you heard. <laughs> yeah, because I checked in today and I said, how are we doing? And so that, that's working, right? It's working for somebody that's, uh, it's a family dynamic. And that, that individual needs to, to uh, expose themselves to those ideas or they won't get better. And if they don't get better, then that's bad for the company and that's bad for all the families that you talked about. I mean, if you're a leader in the company and you're not getting better, then eventually you're going to stall. And so uh, that's just a, one little thing I think we should just make sure people out there know. We're happy to help you with that. I'll help anybody with a development plan. You got to. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I, I continue to develop myself. I mean, I, I go to you know, classes. I went to Keith Cunningham's classes last year. I went to Tony Robbins' events last year. I work with my men's leadership group, and I go to those events you know, once a quarter. Um, I, something you know, online every week myself. I'm not in that business anymore, but I'm in a business, <laughs> two businesses, right? And I'm helping, expected to help other businesses, right? So I've got to get better. I've constantly got to get better. That's the thing Russ and I pride ourselves upon. Every time we go to a client, we're going to have something new to give you. You know, I learn, every time we speak, I learn from you guys. And a couple of things I've learned today. Number one, don't cross Drew Cameron. He fired his brother twice, his sister, and his mother. Okay, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> now, saying. Sister like Firing the brothers, Mom, I can get behind. Mom, Firing the Mom mother, that's a, that's, 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 that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. The older brother twice. Business, that's that's a tough one. Older brother Mom, twice. I love you, right but there. you gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. I'll see you, you at I'll see you Thanksgiving. <laughs> You're not carrying your weight, Mom. <laughs> Mom, I'm bringing a new cook for Thanksgiving. I'm not expecting a lot at Christmas, but... But in all seriousness, so... Uh, I think the lessons learned here, the family council, great idea. What Drew said about the family has their conversations outside of the other people in the company, certainly don't bring it back home. Uh, and one of the things I think Drew or uh, Gary said that's really important is whatever the, the, the accountability and the culture is and the employee development has to apply to the family as much as it does to anybody else. Nobody gets a free ride, nobody gets a pass. And I think that's the main thing uh, to keep in mind, right? Because you can fire the coworker, you can't fire the family member, right? 
right? right. And, and so that's what I think you need to make clear. Everybody needs to make that clear. No matter what, I loved my, the day I let my brother go the second time, I mean, yeah. I mean it, that, that one hurt because he was my best salesman, right? right. And I mean, 1.75 million walks out of your door in 1994. Right. Back when 1.75 million was a Exactly, number, yeah. right? You know, 68% closing ratio. Probably more like 4 million today. Probably about 4 million yeah. today, exactly, mm -hmm. right? Um, and he punched the door, broke his hand. You know, when he came back, he actually had a cast, and he, <laughs> he had to bring his girlfriend with him to do ride-alongs with him to to write at the literally. We were writing out files back then. Oh we didn't have computers, but um, like I said, I, I fired the salesperson for some behaviors that were not consistent with what we stood for. Okay, I didn't fire my brother. Right, so. I, I jokingly say I fired my brother, but I fired, I fired an underperforming salesperson. What, what great advice though that, what, and I don't want to get into the particulars, but you, hired a six, you fired a 68% closer. That's something a lot of people won't do. They'll tolerate, you know, people maybe that, uh, and not with your brother's situation, but you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of football analogies and Sean Payton after the Saints won the Super Bowl in 09, got rid of a lot of great players and the fans were like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. If they're not good for the locker room, yeah. you know, this is not a good fit. And sometimes there are personnel issues, cultural issues that have to kind of trump the production issues in that situation. More, more often than not, probably talking about lack of production. In your brother's case, the production was fantastic. Yeah. But there were other issues. There were other yeah, issues. Core, core values are hiring and firing decisions. So pe people need to understand that that's what core values are. They're not just adjectives. Yeah. They really are hiring and firing yeah. decisions. No doubt. Great stuff, guys. Lots to learn from you, too. Appreciate it. Cheers. You can learn about good whiskey. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Thanks, guys.